Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel, we have Alan Weimar. Hello, hello. And Adi Eyinger. Hello. And our guest this week is Ben Moss. And Ben, why don't you tell us why we invited you here and why everybody likes you and why we're a big fan of you? Uh, I see. Uh, yes, thank you. So I guess the, I had a, a Twitter post recently with uh, about some machine learning things that I, that I put out there, but it's a very intro blog post. So I think there's only so far I can I can take that subject. So I thought I'd come on here and talk about something that I do know a little bit more about, which is event sourcing and CQRS. And I saw that you actually gave a talk about event sourcing and CQRS like in a, in a meetup group a while ago. So it's been a few years now. Yeah, but I, I gave a, a couple of talks to my local, I'm in Toronto, Canada, my local Elixir meetup group. And how did that come to be? I mean, like you one day you woke up and decided, hey, I'm going to do a talk on event sourcing and CQRS. Pretty much. I don't know. I just got, the, I got <laughs> uh, sniped by this idea of, of CQRS and event sourcing. And I you know, just kind of tickled my brain and, and I just wanted to learn more and shout it from the rooftops, I guess. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So, so why don't you tell us like well, how, how you came to CQRS Event Sourcing? Maybe even give you like a quick overview for the listeners what it actually is, or like what CQRS Event Sourcing, sure, what, what's sure. behind that, if you feel comfortable uh, you know, with I, that. I don't actually remember where it started. It must have been some podcast. I listened to a lot of podcasts. And uh, so I think someone covered it there, um, maybe Software Engineering Daily. But yeah, what what is it? Event sourcing. So I guess the, the basic idea is that instead of storing information to the table and then reaching into that table and updating the records every time you need to make a change, instead you store a log of events of what happened. And then from there, you're able to rebuild actual state from that, that log. So that's the event sourcing part. And then the CQRS part is the, the basic idea is splitting your reads and your writes so that while well, the two don't, there's a bunch of benefits, but that so that the two don't interfere with each other. So if you have, most apps are like read heavy, there's like 80% reads to 20% writes. And we, we can take advantage of that with CQRS and make a specialized model that only captures what's needed for the write put that in the database and then make other specialized records for reading out of later. So they're fast to read out of. That's the, those are the, that's the super high level snapshot. We can dig in wherever. Yeah. Um, I have a bit of experience with VCGRS and event sourcing. Actually, I have worked on a project where we used that in production. So like the analogy, analogy I always like to go with is like usually you basically keep the current state of a system somewhere, be it a database, be it wherever, right? Like persist the current state of a system. And when with event sourcing, you basically capture every significant change as an event 
Uh, and like the comparison I make there is often with like a financial ledger where you actually, of course, you also have like the current balance, but you also record every balance change and like what exactly was the course for a balance change, right? Like maybe you bought something or you, or you got some money from your employer or whatever. And there you have basically the, the idea of event sourcing in this physical medium of the often financial ledger. We are all probably familiar with that guess. Yeah, the the idea of of double booking, uh, double book accounting, where you never you never erase anything. You just, yeah. you know, if if you make a mistake, you compensate and put yeah. a new fact in the system. Yeah, and that's, that's like one of the, the main things of event sourcing, right? Like even if you have, for example, like a mistake and faulty in the event in there, you wouldn't just nearly really delete it because there are some number number of guarantees you can make by re- relying on the former events never changing and. But it's it's pretty interesting paradigm and something you see rarely used from my experience in today's software world. So, I sorry, missed it. Is is this the system you worked on? Is a current system you're working on, or is it something in the past? It's something in the past. It's I don't want to I don't want to talk about specifics, but like it's it's like it's this like a fantasy football thing in Germany, basically, and there we had like an integration into like a sports data provider. And basically, we're consuming like real events which happened on the field, like we captured, right? And they gave us this, this, this big, big JSON block of like all the events that happened in a match. And based on that, we like cons- digested them and then created like a real event sourced stream of events out of there and like, scored them according to certain rules. And then people who like put players on the field got points if these players did something cool on, on the playing field. So that's so the whole domain mapped very ni- neatly to this whole idea of having, okay, an event is something which happened in the past and contains some information. And like the current state is an aggregation of these events. And so that's why why that in that particular project we, we chose to to use this event sourcing approach. Was it's not with our current employer, not even born before that, was like in the past when I was working for an agency. So yeah, but like it was very, very interesting and like a lot of also learnings we had there but for example you might not want to even source everything for example uh user profile states <laughs> yeah was that an elixir that was an elixir yes that was an elixir and we were actually using the the library commanded which is as far as i know basically the de facto default if you want to do anything event sourcing and cqrs in elixir but that's how i think about it i think it's a fantastic library Definitely encourage people to check that out. Yeah, we have, we're going to have a link in the, in the show notes later on. So it's a def- very, very interesting piece of technology. I think so. Okay, Alan, are there any questions from your side? Anything you would like to know from Ben or maybe even me because <laughs> I have production experience in this topic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would love to know more like about like just the tech stack and how your events were kind of uh, designed. So at my current work, we are very, very heavily event driven. I wouldn't call it completely CQRS. The separation isn't very explicit, but every little thing just like, you know, posts like a mess, uh, like even, it's essentially a message really to RabbitMQ. So like we do have a log of everything that's happened, but the CQRS part isn't there. And I think, I think it's a, I always thought it was a very important component to do event sourcing, but apparently they they got it to work without that. <laughs> so I'm curious, like how, what you guys experience look like. And CQRS and even sourcing. I have not used commanded, but it has Postgres. It is Postgres at backend, right? It, it can. There's adapters for Postgres and for um, Event Store. Uh, there's yeah. a product called Event Store. DB from Greg Young. Yeah, I'm gonna also share share so, a link to that. 
the project you're talking about is like is it event sourced like everything's built up of events inside the the app or is it more like an event driven architecture where you have services and they're communicating via events right it, i wouldn't say it's event sourced right so it's event driven architecture yeah I, I think there's a distinction there with like event driven ar- architectures i think are having a nice moment and there's a lot of people sort of figuring out that these are this is a useful pattern and yeah i would just make that distinction between event-driven architecture, which is like events on the outside. This is like inter, inter-service communication. And then there's event sourcing as on the events on the inside, using events to build up your state. Whether or not you expose that to the outside world is is a separate fact. You, you could probably say that like the, the litmus test to say it's one or the other is like, what's the source of truth, right? Are the events the source of truth where you build up from the state or is uh, whatever you, for example, mutate in the database, in the data in there, is that the source of truth? So which of those could you throw away reasonably and still be fine? Yeah, like actually, the event is the source of truth for majority of systems, but it's... Majority? Again, it, yeah, yeah, it's... it's So there's a lot of, lot of individual services, like a ton, like I, I don't even know, like hundreds of unique services. Uh, so with that, I think most systems... Uh, you can do event replays and most systems will are idempotent in that sense, but not all. <laughs> and that's where I think the lack of CQRS is probably one of the reasons why that's the case. The lack of CQRS across all the microservices. Yeah, I think it's a good, it complements event sourcing really well. It makes your, the whole idea of the separation of commands and the regular queries just that makes it so much easier to manage and like you know where, like where you have to deal with changes and potential for data to be different and that's what's like lacking i think it's an interesting point yeah i i think yeah the secure part i think is where pe- some people get tripped up too right it's like you know when you're doing it i guess quote unquote correctly it's asynchronous right and that can that can really throw people for a loop where everything's suddenly eventually consistent and then you know what do i do kind of thing so uh, and i think that's part of one of the things that makes elixir so such a good fit for it is that we deal well with asynchrony and and especially with live view for example so there's uh, an article we can link on the the kelp stack the celp so commanded live view and phoenix and elixir because yeah i mean in a regular system you have to you have to worry about how to overcome that asynchronous thing whereas with live view it's just like well it's another you know here's a fact and here's a new fact a bit later and we're back to good yeah i want to add to that actually maybe also give a bit more examples of like how this can look in action right and maybe also give an example of why you maybe don't want everything to be event sourced so um, in, in this project I, I spoke about earlier we started off very naively with like event sourcing everything right this new paradigm sounds super cool super super useful let's like event source everything and we also even source like user profile changes, like nickname and whatsoever, like address, because there was some billing involved, so we had to keep the address of people around. And that actually, when you look at it, like, of course, you can think of like maybe some events, user profile updated and user profile created, but that's all very, very contrived. And then you get into the situation where you have this eventual consistency scenario, right? Like, so mobile client might come along and say, hey, I want to change the username of, of a user. They do that, but then just by the nature of eventual consistency, the presentation in the app might still have the old username for very, maybe a very short amount of time, but maybe a bit longer amount of time, depending on the amount of pressure which is currently in the system. And that's not the user experience you would expect from a username change. And it also became like this, this thing of like, okay, considering I live in Germany and this is like a 
system we built for a German company. We have to then to follow GDPR and like involve the German privacy laws, which it does involve the right to be deleted. So like, hey, now we have to delete events, but like, well, one big idea about event sourcing is we don't change the events after the fact. So like, how, how do we do that? Right? Maybe we can delete the whole event flow, but like, what does that mean in practice and so on and so forth? So there are a whole lot of implications which come with event sourcing. And of course, it's when you then do add something like CQRS on top, which is very, very uh, helpful in some areas, but it is more code you have to write. Like, so just, just imagine you want to change the user profile. Like, how would you, for example, do it with Ecto? You get a request, maybe go to your context, have like a, an insert or an update statement, and then it's done, right? Like, that's it. So it's like very small amount of code, relatively speaking. And when you do something like CQRS and event sourcing, you would then have to write, well, in the case of commanded, for example, you would have to write a command, which would, for example, be change username or whatever. And then you need to write a handler for that command, which then creates an event, which, for example, will be username changed. And then you need to write a handler for that, which actually takes this and, for example, writes it into a database. So you have like a read view you can read from. And then, of course, you need to again write code in the controller to read from this database, from the state table again. So it's like a lot more places you need to touch to get this, to, to implement this, this paradigm. And sometimes that's very useful, especially when like your reading behavior there differs quite a lot from your writing behavior, then it's become super powerful. Maybe one example there was, as I mentioned earlier, we have these events coming in for players. And that, so we had like a command, okay, like an event happened, like a player shot a goal or whatever, right? So that was like a command, basically. They created a corresponding event, which like player, player did that and that, player did that and that. And then we had like a projection for that. So to like get this event, get this event projected into the database as the current number of points each user has, which has the player in the lineup, right? So we have like this, this projection with basically the current points for all users currently participating in the match day. And that's very different from like this writing perspective. Right? We only care about what are the points right now, but like in the in the writing, we care about, okay, what are some business rules maybe around, okay, we have this event from the data provider. Do we actually care about this event at all? Maybe we don't even care when we can just remove it. Maybe we need to do a correction because like somebody recording the events did a mistake. So we need to do also correction and so on and so forth. So we have all this logic with writing, but for write, for reading, we only care what's, what's the current points. And then we have also, of course, another projection, which is like all the events for a player and so on and so forth. So we used, we have like very, very different use cases for reading and for writing. But when you look at the user profile, it's like, <laughs> there's not much variety there. <laughs> it boils down to having this record of a user, having whatever is associated with the record of a user, and changing that when you need it to be changed. I think you made a lot of good points, and there's a there's a bunch of topics we can cover there. Like, So I think the first one is like not using it for everything. Two, GDPR. Three, lots of boilerplate, I guess. Is, yeah, yeah. That's a point. So... Yeah, I think for not not using it for everything, I think there's a lot of different opinions out there on, on the internet, like, you know, as to what what it's only use it for stuff that's like financial or or like medical, where you need an audit trail. And other people, like we can talk about it later, but there's this uh, event modeling by Adam Dimitruk. He uses it for everything. Absolutely, he's got a consultancy which he runs with, and he only does this style of application. For, for absolutely everything. And he, he says it's great because he is able to do flat rate quoting and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. I, he can explain it better than, than I can. I'm just bringing up the point that like some people run into what you, what you ran into, right? Which is a, a very good point, right? Like you can go too far. And especially when people first dive in, including myself, you, you're, you're going to event source all the things, you're going to CQRS all the things. And all of a sudden you've got this 
crazy thing that you don't know how to control. But I think you can get there. I think I, I've been learning about this for a couple of years now, and it's starting to make make more sense. But and like I say, like live, you can help with some of that. And there's some other tricks you can learn for like dealing with the user just told me their new username and now they're they've gone back to the site and it's still the old one like what do i do right the boilerplate thing i think is it's definitely true right you, you you're when you're in the middle of writing one of these apps you you find yourself like your hands on the keyboard and you're typing out this this long thing and kind of repeating yourself right but it, the one thing i would say about that is that it's it's often very s- simple code right like it's often like yeah, you're jumping around from from this event handler to the to the next event handler, and you know a, a command handler, and but it's very straight line code, which is maybe not fun at the time of actually typing it out. But when you come back to like have to understand it later, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I don't want to dunk on this. I actually enjoyed working on the system, and I think especially in that domain, it made perfect sense to use that paradigm. I think what I'm trying to say is like, take a hard look at your domain and really ask yourself, is like the the trade-offs here and making are these, are these worth it, right? Like is is the domain really applicable to the paradigm or maybe not? And what we ended up doing, for example, um, we got rid of this whole event sourcing for user profiles. We retained it for for all the other stuff, but user profiles was actually just common crud, (laughs) which also made like the GDPR compliance super easy because I mean, in the rest of the system, we only reference users by their unique ID, which was the UUID. So we deleted the entry from the user profile table, and that was it. Because like the yeah. UUID no longer is capable of like deriving okay, which user did that, right? So yeah, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, there's no free lunch, basically. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. not. I totally, I totally yeah. agree with that. Like, then, and that's all I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of advocating for it. But I'm, I'm, I think you know, there's a traditional way we do software, and we have so many sort of hidden assumptions about and patterns that we've developed for that. And then there's event sourcing, which is like, it's wholly different. Like there's some very different patterns that take a long time to sort of get used to and learn. And there, there it's no silver bullet. It's just, it's another set of trade-offs, of course. I just think it's worth like maybe people having a better a better look at that and, and seeing seeing what it what it's like. Yeah. When you get into... When you get into it, like so one of the first things that I think people run into is they, they they try to do like just like you, like the user accounts or the user model or or authentication, right? And it's like well, I'm just going to event source all the things and I'm going to dive heads headlong into that. And that one is like we can all understand like a account open, account closed, withdrawn, that kind of example, or adding to shopping carts. But you can run into some some gotchas really quick with authentication and user management. And you can really, so if you're going to take a run at this and, and try it out, I think, you know, maybe, maybe skip that one and, and do as, as Sasha is suggesting and just do crud for your authentication, you know, use Phoenix Gen Auth and just let that do its thing normally and play on the, play with the rest of it. Yeah. There's, there's a very good point there about the GDPR stuff too. And I think, I think that kind of like can be expanded a little bit more, just like knowing the legal domain itself, like. Uh, another example uh, from like a community perspective, the company that I, I work at, like we basically send like text messages to, you know, people that subscribe to like, you know, certain leaders. But if they chose to unsubscribe that because of the nature of eventual consistency, they might still get messages that they shouldn't. Right. And like there is like a legal uh, ramif- there's a re- legal ramification for that, but the you know if you are doing some stuff like that, like healthcare and there's HIPAA involved, like uh, with like data uh, 
that you shouldn't be sharing. Like uh, the cost of something going wrong could be really, really high there. So that was a very good point. There was another point, uh, Sasha, I kind of wanted to like ex- expand on that and like get your, get you guys' thoughts on that. So, so you gave the example of like updating the username, right? And whatever it takes time to update, say by the time, you know, say the username update failed down the road, right? Like a couple events happened in your microservices and it failed. Like how do you usually like deal with it? Like do you in- introduce like a new state when a user submits a request that username update requested <laughs> that gets updated later? Or like just to kind of also communicate the async nature of the system? Or is there like other ways of dealing with it? I bet that's a very good question. Uh, that's like also one of the things with like CQRS is that after you basically pass through this whole command phase of like, okay, I want to now change something. I want to write something that should check all everything, which is like related to business rules, everything, which is really might fail at that point. And that's a big rule that like after you pass that point, you emitted an event, nothing should fail because you did all the checks up beforehand. And of course, like that's the theory. <laughs> but then like, a colleague comes along and makes a mistake. It's just like the event, uh, some events land on the system, which might have some faulty data or whatever. And then we need to deal with that. Um, and that there actually is like when, when you get to that point, um, you then have to basically um, deal with the reality of having some bad events inside of your system, which means you would have to write some code to deal with these bad events. And you will have to retain this code indefinitely because you keep this event record around. Like these event, bad events are not going to go away. Of course, you can then maybe maybe cheat a bit and say, okay, I'm just going to delete all the predictions which which depend on that. Then I'm going to change the event there, and then I'm just like, and then nobody nobody saw that. But that's that only brings you so far. And there's actually an interesting story there where basically exactly this scenario happened. We had like a bad event in the system, and how it works then in Commanded and then Elixir specifically is you have these event handlers. And like there are projections, which are spe- special kinds of event handlers. And as you might expect, those event handlers and those projections, they are processes, right? So they're processes and they're supervised. And like a projection to be specific is like an event handler, which takes events and then writes it into a database, into a table. And like you also keep a record in the database uh, of which event was seen last. So you can basically ignore if an event arrives twice and stuff like that. So it's like basically it's projecting the events inside of a table into like a current state you care about. And um, what happened was, I'm not sure if it was a projection or it was just a, a, an arbitrary event handler for push notifications or whatever, but we had some bad events in there and we had like a projection and then uh, an such event handler, which was crashing because I got an event I didn't expect and it crashed. What does Elixir do in that case? It's supervised. It's going to restart. But because we didn't act that event, that event came again. It crashed again and again. And again, what then happens in supervision trees is after a certain number of restarts, I think the default is five, and the supervisor itself crashes. And then that gets restarted by the supervisor about that. And vice and repeat at infinitum. And what actually happened is it brought the whole application down. Like everything. <laughs> the whole application was completely down because of these few bad events which ended in there. And, and the pattern we then applied down the road was actually this pattern of the um, circuit breaker. Because we had like basically a supervisor in between, which had a restart strategy of like, I forgot the name, but was it temporary? I think it might have been temporary, which basically says, so we had to basically the supervisor, then a supervisor below that. And then that supervisor, it, that supervisor had the temporary restart strategy and then had all the, all, all the projections. And that meant, okay, if this projection actually does crash five times in a row, because for example, a bad event, not only once, 
and brings down the supervisor, the supervisor is going to stay down. And it's not going to just try to restart it. And there's like a paging mechanism to page a human to, hey, something broke, take a look at it, which is way better because then maybe, I don't know, for example, the, the player points don't get updated, but it's better than bringing the whole system down. And that's also the, the, the kind of things you have to consider when you build a system because you have this event lock and, and it's super great to have this event lock because maybe we can go a little bit later. You can do things with that event lock down the road. You didn't even think of when you first created it. But you also have to maintain it indefinitely and have to deal with situations when maybe event structure changes and you now have these old events, which you also still need to support. So it brings a whole lot of, of considerations into the picture, which you just don't need when you have a crowd application. It's true. It's true. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of, of things that, that can come up like that. And, you know, I mean, Greg Young's written a, a whole book on called event versioning. That's the whole subject of the book is how to deal with versioning new events. And there's some pretty fun little tricks in there for, so you don't, you're not necessarily saddled with your events as you wrote them for the rest of history. But like, let's be clear, it's, it's also quite a lot of work and, and sort of juggling to get to get to a, a, a nice state so yeah that's, that's definitely a thing it just this is what i see when people switch over from well switch over when they're coming from crud and they look over at event sourcing they they tend to a either they you know they love the idea right away and then sort of start thinking like oh how am i going to do this that and the other or they get worse they get to production and they're like oh my god i have to I have to do what <laughs> you know but if you come at it with like this idea that it's like it's just wholly different than than the crud style of of development and accept that it's going to take some learning, I think you can you can come to terms and there's a lot of you just come at things from a different perspective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And and you know the async thing is like a blessing and a curse, right? Like you, the it's annoying to have to deal with time in an application and and having to deal with like not having everything written by the time you're done you're accepting the right but that's also on the flip side that's a feature right that gives you independence from all these all these projectors right they're they're doing their work asynchronously they're not going to block your your rights because i mean I've, as a consultant i've seen seen applications where you're it's courseware you're taking uh some student answers a multiple choice question right like the the, the right is like this big it's tiny and but the the knock-on effects from that right are you know we're going to go up this update this course table this stats table we're going to update this thing there's like seven to twelve tables in the way of accepting this right and if anything's wrong then we just throw the whole thing away right that's when everything's all clumped together that has its own host of problems when we just have one big transaction where we accept everything in it we can cause brittleness that way so it's like there's pros and cons there yeah that makes yeah, sense yeah i agree but that makes a lot of sense Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a master class. It's going to be a four-week master class where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Maybe also to add to something, because like your question, Adi, was like, what if something fails downstream, right? To be honest, like the, the situation is not much different from when you, for example, have a system which consumes data from a queue, and then like maybe some external system fails. 
you have to consider about retries and back off and like how important is it really. And for example, like in that system, we when certain big events happened, like a goal was shot, we wanted to present on some push notifications, right? And if then like the external push notification service is down, you also said somebody to say, yeah, okay, then you drop a few push notifications. Like you have to always consider like what kind of guarantees you need to give here or maybe don't have to give. One thing which you also have to consider when you start to do this kind of thing um, is like at least once delivery, which is very common in general, like in, in queue-based systems also. So you get this in every event at least once, but you might get it more than once. Where, for example, the projections, they do that by um, having one table where we basically keep track of of like a which event number that they see last, right? Like, and that's like a sequentially increasing number. So they can say, okay, I saw this event before, so I don't need to mutate state in the database, that's fine. But for other places, for example, notifications, you might just say, yeah, then some users get the push notification, the goal happened twice, so what? Not the end of the day, right? It depends, it depends. But the, yeah, that, that kind of question is, I feel, not specific to event sourcing, but more in the sense of, okay, you, you now consume a stream of data and you might consume something twice and you might something trigger, want to trigger something which fails. How do I ideally retrying this? I think commanded has come a, maybe a, a little way since you last used it too. There's lots of, there's, there's more features for handling errors and only trying something so many times before you Yeah, okay. it maybe it's it's good. Yeah. it was a few years ago when we did that. So like, we might, might, might very, very true that it has evolved since then. Uh, one of the cool things, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say like, one of the cool things I saw in CQRS is that at least with, I think with commanded, like you can add like a, I don't know if they called it a new event or something, but you it actually go back and replay all the events through that. I don't even know which part it actually was. But one of the things that ran through my mind is like, let's say that you never had some type of notification and you have an online store that's been running for like a while with quite a bit of orders. And you say, okay, I want to send an email after this guy gets his order shipped. And you weren't doing that before. And like I, like I said, when I was going through, uh, I watched a video today, I think it was you said from Ben Smith, right? And he mentioned that it would go back and replay everything. But you wouldn't want to have an order shipped email come out. So I guess this might be stopped from within Greg Young's book, how you can handle this kind of problem? There's a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of little tricks. I mean, with the, from the simplest, like you, you have a, this orders at this time and the email should, you assume that the email should go out somewhere like, let's say half an hour within the half an hour that followed the event. So when you're replaying, you're just like, well, you're trying to tell me to send an email that's like three years overdue. Like, no, but I mean, it, it does mean you have to check in your handler to like make sure you're doing you're doing sane things. There's lots of different ways you could do that. You could also record what you've sent out. Like there's there's tricks for that. One of the other things too that like always hard for me to kind of put together is uh, obviously like when you're doing accounting, right? You could do plusing and minusing, but when you're having more complex value changes, how does that actually look in the database where you kind of aggregate everything together? Yeah, it can get a little crazy sometimes, but you can also, you can use your your regular database skills to like build up a little side model to keep track of all the bookkeeping for, for how you want to aggregate your state, for example, like or keep it in Redis or something. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're like, let's say you're building, you're keeping stats on, on, on some part of your domain, you can like, as each event comes in, you can kind of slowly keep this little ball of state on the side up to date 
whether you keep that in Redis or in Postgres in tables or or wherever, even in memory. Does that I'm just trying to think. Like, oh, no, like let's say I have a, a guy who keeps updating his username. Right? Okay, cool, cool dude. Five four three two. Okay, now maybe I want to be uh, whatever. Right? Like, what would something like that actually look at? Because, like I said, plusing and minusing number, aggregating, summing that up is makes a lot of sense to me because I, you do that all the time. But as a normal developer who's trying to wrap their mind around this kind of concept, if I aggregate a username, which it's, they, they could be creating one, they could be removing the username, if it's possible, they could be changing the username. Like, what would that actually look like? What kind of aggregation function would be looking at? Sure. Well, I think the first bit is that the, the, the events that you're going to get in in that case are should be describing exactly what's happening, right? They shouldn't, it shouldn't just be like username changed. Well, I mean, I, I suppose it could be in that case, but you get them in order at least, no, right? Don't, don't repeat the same mistakes we did. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you could continue. <laughs> two points. Your events should try to describe as much as possible what's happening in as much detail as possible and try not to be, because we're as developers, we're, we're very used to thinking in like trying to abstract things and make them very general. CRUD, you can just look at CRUD as an example. But this requires a switch to more like describing exactly what the context was around that change to try and give you as much information when you're in your your aggregator, when you're in your event handler, so that you know what it means to change address or approve order or whatnot. But as for the actual name, right? I mean, your your event handler is maintaining a table of what the user's current username is. And as events roll in and change them, it's going to go do selects and updates and inserts to a, to a side table to project out the new state for that particular use case. So you, I mean, if you want to, you can kind of just turn around and recreate a third normal form set of da- tables that you can read out of from your UI. But I think at that point, you're you're maybe missing some of the the goodness here, whereas you you, you can have event handlers for each purpose, right? You could make yourself a, a lit, like an index view. You could write down all the user. We keep going back to user, but <laughs> whatever, we'll stick with it for the moment. Uh, a list of all the usernames, for example, would be one projection or just count them or, you know what I mean? Like each one's going to have a different way of aggregating and, and summing up the information. I think I'm still missing your like really answering this for you. Do you want to try again? Um, maybe maybe I no, can try. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that someone answers my question. Right? I'm just thinking about like a normal developer who doesn't quite understand the aggregation part. Like, what, what would that actually look like physically on disk? Right. That's what I'm yeah, thinking okay. more about. So that, that's actually where, where the power for the SQLS idea comes from. Because um, to stick with the example and stick to like commandlet and, and uh, as like the the library we're familiar with, with also the library in Elixir. here. How that would look like is, for example, you would have a Phoenix controller, and in the Phoenix controller, you would, for example, then create a command, which might be change username, right? And in this command, you contain the user ID, you want to change the username off, and the new username, and then you fire that. Like, if there's like a specific module and command that you basically say, hey, here, take this command, and now please route it to a correct aggregate. That's the term. We're going to get into that, why it's called aggregate, maybe in a second. Mm-hmm. And that's basically, you can really much, pretty much imagine it like a Phoenix router, but just not for web requests, but for commands coming in and then finding the correct aggregate to go to. And in that case, you would, for example, say, okay, for this command, the aggregate identity is the user ID. So the aggregate would be the user. And why is it called an aggregate? It's called an aggregate because it represents for Elixir in memory, the current state of that user. So we have like an event stream which represents everything which has happened to that user. And this event stream is identified by this user ID. 
So for example, if, if we stick to the example of like having this user when we change the username, there might have been some events up front and some commands which generated these events to first create this user. Like when they signed up, right? Like user signed up. Uh, it might be an event in there. And maybe the user already did change the username in the past. So you might then say, okay, there might be an event in there which has user name, user changed name. And how this then works like on a code level is the, the user aggregate in Elixir is a struct with all the fields you care about to do your business validations. And when you handle a command, you basically return a list of events which were produced by this command. And then you also have another functions at the bottom which say, okay, now I take these events and apply them to my user and return basically the mutated user and where I change, for example, the username or where I first create the user ID or whatever. And so the idea there is, is that when you get a command, you get this aggregated user, which went through all of these, these events and basically were built up on demand. So if you have 100 events in there, when the user hasn't signed in for like a few days, you get first command for this user, then like what command actually does, it goes to this event stream and reads all the events in there and like deserializes them. And then it builds up the current state of that user in memory. And now you have this current state. And on this current state, you then do validations, for example. You might, for example, care about users should only be allowed to change their name, I don't know, every few days because business reasons, business says that people shouldn't be allowed to change their names that often. So one of the fields you aggregate to is like, okay, when was the last time this user changed their username? You just keep that in the struct because you care about it. And then this new command comes in. They say, okay, like this command was emitted at time X. Last change was time Y. Is he allowed to do that? Yes or no, right? And if he's allowed to do that, you generate a new event, he's a change to the name. If he's not allowed to do that, you turn an error. And that error then gets propagated back to the Phoenix controller we talked had at the beginning. And then you can say, decide on that. Okay, what do you do with this error now? Do I want to return an error response or whatever? Then it's the responsibility of whoever emitted that command in the first place. All of this is happening synchronously. It's like nothing asynchronous is happening there yet. And only if basically the whole process went through completely successful. You have a bunch of events, maybe one event, maybe more, which were created by that event, by that command. Then you enter this realm of, of asynchronousy uh, because from command perspective and from CQRS perspective, the write was successful at that point. Like the events were written to the database and now you have some might have some event handlers and those event handlers now operate asynchronously. So an event handler, you might say, okay, I'm interested in, for example, user name changes. And now there might be one event handler, which just takes this event, looks into the database and adds, looks, okay, where's the record for this particular user, user ID? Ah, okay, here I changed the username. That's it. That might be the responsibility of one event handler. But there might also be another event handler, which, I don't know, counts all the number of characters people use in their usernames because you're interested in, hey, maybe I have some, some, some Latin American users and maybe have some German users and maybe have some Chinese users. So I want to see like what kind of characters I'm using, right? The statistics that again gets the event and does its thing. And the cool thing about CQRS is there that you can specifically decide what kind of storage is like applicable to the problem. So like the first example, keeping record of all the usernames just to fetch it and read it might just be a plain old Postgres database. But maybe for the statistics, you say, ah, I, I want to, I don't know, I want to use Cassandra because it's like so, so much is happening. I just want to write it in there in like a data lake or whatever, right? You can choose the, the technology which is applicable to this particular problem and just decide down the road, okay, now this particular projection, this particular event handler should use an ETS table in memory, should use Cassandra, should use Postgres. But all of this upfront logic around, okay, how do I change the username, does not need to care about that. 
it's completely decoupled. And even if you then, I don't know, like three years later say, okay, now we have this new use case and they, uh, we want to do some machine learning because machine learning is a hot new thing and we want to take all the events which have happened up until now, you can do that because you have this record of events which happened in the past. So you can then create a new event handler, a new projection, which feeds that into, I don't know, like some kind of regression model <laughs> to come back to maybe even to the machine learning where we started from, right? And, As you can, um, yeah, you can really run yeah. run wild with it after that. Yeah, you, know, you, you want to build up a, a PNG out of whatever of all the username changes. <laughs> yeah, like why not? So yeah, but but the basic idea and to sort of return to to the the simple case is like yeah, like maybe you have a table that belongs to this projection and it's it's solely responsible for updating that table and dumping out name changes ID and here's a table that's just like user ID and their current name. That's all it is. And then some other controller, when it's asked, you know, when it needs to show that information, will come read out of that projection. That's that's the basic idea. Yeah, yeah. And maybe to give some credit where credit is due, like Commander does give you the option of having strong consistency, where you say, okay, now I want to emit this command, and I own, I want to wait until all the event handlers have actually processed the events which were then generated from that. But that, of course, uh, is like a, a performance hit. Like because you have to wait. So um, we're just circling back to this idea of like, do you really want to have like an event, like an event sourced user name aggregate, right? Like is this really something where you wait where all this flexibility we just talked about is worth the extra effort of having multiple places to maintain multiple places in your code where this change could potentially affect things and this complexity at the end of the day, because it is more complex than just writing into a table and reading from a table. That's a decision you have to make. Yeah, the wrapping your head around the the streams is is really part of like getting this whole thing that there are different streams of data for, and, and mm. then you, you, you then you bump right into the word aggregate, right? And what does that mean? But I think that there's it's like there's an interesting parallel between like streams and and uh, and gen servers, for example. Like they're like there's asynchrony all around you, right? There's many different sort of processes or gen servers. But when you're inside the gen server, everything is serial. And it's the same with streams, right? Like there's there's many streams, there's many users doing many different things at the same time. And they're all allowed to progress at their own pace and their own rates. But within an individual stream, everything is ordered. So when we're, so there's a, there's chaos outside and sanity on the, on the inside. Yeah, and maybe to give an example, which is not as contrived as the user name, like we actually had, like, as we mentioned, we had these, these commands, these events around players doing things on the playing field. And then at some point, there was a requirement that we also want like um, a history of like how a player, like how their score de developed across each match day, right? And that wasn't a thing we had before, but that was super easy. Like we only had to create a new projection, new database table, and then basically like, aggregate the number of points a player has for each particular match day so that at the end of the day, you can read it from there and benefit. And of course, that depending on the amount of uh, on events you have in the system, that takes a while. Like when we first put that on production, like it took a few hours until it was caught up all the match days which were up front. But that's then like a, a deal you take. And you might, for example, then rely on something like launch darkly and feature flags where you say, hey, okay, this is going to run already, but we're only going to put this live and we know for sure that this actually has caught up with reality and so on and so forth. But those are then the, this is then the kind of power you get if you have this event stream. And now you want to create a new representation of that. And you just can because it's there. 
Does that make sense? It's a super superpower of the pattern. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is really. It really feels like a superpower because, like, I would still remember the customer asked us, like, "Okay, we want to do that. Can we do that?" And they were like, "Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> all, all the data we need is there. Like, we can do that. No problem." I think, yeah, to go back to the the event handler thing a little bit. That's where, if you're using Live View, you'd plug into an event handler. So you 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 know you write out the, your new state for that particular handler and then you broadcast out to your live view and then it can follow along and update your user's name <laughs> or whatever else is, is 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 going which is why i think so uh, maybe only a link to this this article that uh case de groot wrote about the, the the kelp stack i think it's it's really he sort of outlay he lays out what he's doing there okay folks anything you'd like to milk us on anything else you'd want to know should we slowly go over to pics we can wrap up. We could all you could talk about GDPR if you think that's a, a worthwhile thing and a worthwhile digression into crypto thrashing. Yeah, to, to be honest, my my recommendation if if you can, like it becomes a whole lot simpler with GDPR compliance if you basically don't do event sourcing. If anything was just GDPR compliant and then only reference it by ID. I am well aware that that's not always possible, but that was like the, the, the thing we, we ended up with because we only cared about like the username and the address because there was some billing happening, but that was not necessary to put it in, into events. So like everything else was event source, that thing wasn't. And then when the user wanted, for example, to delete them, we could delete this one row from a table and that was good enough for GDPR compliance. So yeah, I cannot really comment on how you would deal with GDPR compliance if you actually have a good use case for event sourcing GDPR data because there's we sidestepped that issue basically. I think that was that was very wise. But there's a there's a fun little pattern that people use. I think they call it crypto thrashing. So the idea basically is you encrypt the certain parts of your event with a key. You keep your keys on the outside of the event store and then when it comes time to let go, you throw away the key. So now you've got these events you can still count them. You can still treat them in aggregate. You just can't go get the username out of it. So I thought that was a neat little. I love that idea. Yeah, that's that's. I think I think we actually looked at that briefly and decided against it because again, complexity and no need, right? Totally. But now that you mentioned it, I, I think that was actually part of part of the options we looked at. Until the the, the quantum computers come along and can suddenly crack your encryption, and they're like, "Damn, <laughs> what now?" <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, wow. This, I love that idea. I had not heard of that. Like, I love the idea of using encryption as a way to kind of force some kind of versioning or just like making sure the older event is not consumed. That's really, really cool. That's a fun one. Yeah. And to, to wrap up, I'd say um, event sourcing and CKRS both to get, go nicely together. And it's really, really interesting paradigm. And I, I would urge everybody who's listening to this at least, like, give it a view maybe like check out the, the talk from ben smith on command and, and how it can be used to model certain kinds of problems but again it's no free lunch and maybe at the end of the day crud is better for application maybe not yeah don't bl buy blindly into the hype <laughs> make an informed decision make an informed decision yeah check it out okay Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just 
maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Then I'm going to segue us to picks and Adi, why don't you start us off because we haven't been here a while. All right. All right. So I didn't. Oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I didn't really have picks, but I was in the job market recently and there were unfortunately I cannot clone myself and like join all the companies I want to join. So I'm going to throw give some shout out to a few companies uh, that they're hiring and are all saving CQRS. So the, the first one is the score. They use Elixir and they are transitioned to using CQRS. They're a really cool bunch of people. So check them out. They're, I think, hiring like four or five Elixir engineers right now. So that's a great place. Uh, second one is my current company, Community, that I'm leaving. <laughs> they, uh, as I mentioned earlier, are very event-driven. There are some really cool like Elixir core people there people who wrote testing Elixir, people, the person who's like maintains Ecto, there's a few big names there. So it'd be, it's a great place to learn and just, you know, kind of be more involved and get more involved in the community. And uh, the third one is AngelList Ventures. They are also thinking about going more asynchronous CQRS direction. So yeah, I'll leave a link to uh, all of these three job descriptions in the uh, show notes. Nice. Alan, why don't you go next? Yeah, so uh, I have a pick for my other podcast. I interviewed this author, and of course, I had to do my research. And uh, his book was one of the better books I've ever read in Flutter about like how to, yeah, more deep down information about how Flutter actually works. And so it was actually a pretty great book. So if you're interested in Flutter, at least the beginning of it is gives a really good breakdown about how everything kind of works. And I think that's one of the few books out there that actually does it. So. Uh, it's a fantastic book for people to check it out. The material is a little bit old, but still the ideas are still there. All right. Ben, do you want to go next? Sure. Maybe I'll just give a, a quick shout out to the Toronto Elixir Meetup, and you can check them out if you're in Toronto. Um, the score, I think, is in Toronto as well. Uh, so that's torontoelixir.com. Come say hello. And I would also plug the Elixir Slack channel for Commanded. So if you are if you want to talk about this stuff at all or, or you're just like interested, come come ask questions in there that'd be great for a pick this i'm going to pick event modeling which is like kind of an interesting way to to look at your to you know plot out your domain to look at your domain from a high level view and sort of figure out what you're going to try to be building it's similar to event uh storming that 
more people might be familiar with, but uh, check out event modeling. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, nice. I'm definitely going to look at that because I'm a big fan of event storming. So anything which has to do with events is uh, something I'm interested in. And I'm going to pick something. I'm going to pick two things. I'm going to pick something which is closely related to what we talked about today. And that is distributed tracing and specifically open telemetry and open tracing. And both like two sets around, okay, how do you can measure and like observe what happens in your distributed system? And we use that in the project I mentioned earlier of great success, like on this command and event level where you could really see, okay, this command created these events, was consumed by these event handlers, which could then trigger, for example, these actor queries and so on and so forth. It gave us a lot of visibility and okay, what kind of changes and what kind of external uh, effects and side effects were produced by a given command, by a given request, by a given event. So if you want to look into event sourcing, or even only event-driven systems, then distributed tracing is something you should really, really take a look at to um, keep a hold on like what your system is doing under the hood. And my second pick is completely unrelated to that, and it's I want to pick meditation and to be specific, like two meditation apps, um, because I've started meditating a few years ago when I had like pretty rough. Um, pretty rough time in my life and it helped me a lot in like being more relaxed more focused more in the moment not worrying as much not having as much anxiety and the apps are headspace if you're more of like maybe in english an english language is some more your thing but if you uh, live in germany and speak german there's also basically bbb air quotes german headspace and it's seven mind they produce a lot of um, german content and both of these platforms both of these apps have subscription models but they're both very um Sciency, let's say that. So a lot of what they do and a lot of the content they produce is based on rigorous research, which shows that meditation and mindfulness can really have a positive impact on your life and on your mental health. So those that. are my two picks. Okay, folks. Then it was great having you here, Ben. Can I um thank you? Can I uh, quickly add my uh, my site? I'm I'm a consultant, so I'm always looking for yeah, sure. Like, opportunity. That's good point. Like if people want to reach you, how would they do that? And then feel free to. <laughs> to promote yourself here. Sure. So bitfield.co is my website and you can find uh, my links to Twitter and GitHub from there. I'll leave a note in the, the show notes as well. And like, so, you, so you're consultant, like what kind of work should people get in touch? If oh, I, I, uh, I'm mostly doing Elixir and, and Ruby these days. Um, I've done all sorts of things in the past, Android and C Sharp, but mostly, yeah, yeah, Elixir and, uh, and Ruby. Nice. So yeah, if you think Ben could be helpful maybe building your next event source system, secure system, and now you know how to get in touch. Okay, so it was, it was a pleasure talking to you, Ben. It was a pleasure talking to you, Alan, Adi, and I hope you all have a nice week. All right, bye thanks bye. so much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.